Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. This is High Tea with Grace, where we spill the tea on HIT. I'd like to welcome Danielle Grasso, Senior Product Manager at Force Therapeutics. Now, they're a provider-driven patient engagement platform, primarily for patients recovering from musculoskeletal conditions. I'm excited to get the therapeutic side of things on this show today. Danielle, thanks for joining us. And thank you for having me, Grace. I'm super excited for this conversation. So tell me a little bit about your personal journey that got you into the role that you're currently in. Yeah, absolutely. So from a very young age, I've always been super passionate about healthcare. Um, when I was in grade school, I was that kid who used to go behind my parents' back, watch medical shows like Mystery Diagnosis and House and all of that. Um, unfortunately, I've also dealt with the loss of many family members due to cancer and other diseases. So that kind of fueled my passion for healthcare even more. Um, I saw firsthand really the difference that a good doctor could make in patients' lives and their care. So I really wanted to be that doctor and I really wanted to be that person making the difference from a very young age. So. I've also always been a super empathetic person with really high emotional attachment. So I'm that person who cries after watching a super cute Christmas commercial. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, I always thought I wanted to be on the clinical side of healthcare. Um, I was certain I was going to be a doctor. I was a biochem major in school and started on the pre-med track. I quickly realized that wasn't the path for me. Um, too much empathy to really be a doctor. I, I really didn't think I could deal with handling patients and those hardships on such a personal level every single day. Oh yeah. So I pivoted, yeah. I pivoted more into research thinking that was really the only other option for me career wise as someone who wanted to have such a big impact on patients. So mm. with that, I was bored. I felt super unfulfilled with research and academia Obviously, research is super important. It drives a ton of innovation and we'd be nowhere without that. But I really just dreaded the slow pace and how closed off lab life was. Yes, um, it's like doing homework over and over and over again, which is important homework. But yeah. for some personalities, that's exactly up their alley. But you realized it wasn't right for you. 
Interesting. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. So I am somebody, I'm a big collaborator. I love working with others. I'm a firm believer that the best work is a result of various perspectives really coming together. So I knew I had to find something that made a difference on a larger scale and at the same time allowed me to practice collaborative work. So mm-hmm. after graduation, shifted a little bit, started to apply to a bunch of health tech startups. Um, I started at Forest right after graduation. And I was really just fascinated by the intersection of technology and healthcare, especially how healthcare as an industry was just really lagging in terms of technology and adoption there. In every other aspect of our lives, we are surrounded by technology. We're attached to our phones. We have TVs in every single room in our house. Mm-hmm. And healthcare is just, it's really lacking. And I mean, we're doing a better job now, of course, but. I was just in general fascinated by that. So my initial role at Force, I started on the client success team and really just got to know the various patient and provider personas, the issues that they faced. And I really did enjoy that. Um, At the time, Force didn't have a product team, but I was always that, you know, that go-to person for the engineers as we were building new features to really get that patient-facing voice because oh, wow. like I said, we didn't have that product team. Yeah. So as it grew as a company, um, we hired Chris Young, who's now our head of products. We always joke around that he kidnapped me to the product team after seeing my passion for the patient users of our product. So that was about two years ago. And I am absolutely in love with my current role. It's a challenge in the best way every single day. Um, I get to practice empathy. I get to advocate for patients every day and improving healthcare as a whole, all while working that collaboration aspect and working with not only external stakeholders, so patients and providers, but with various teams within our company to ensure that we're delivering the best experience possible for patients, providers, and healthcare as a whole. Wow, that's really fascinating. So tell me all about Forest Therapeutics. What is your mission um, over there? So our mission, we are really focused on being the tether between patients and providers outside of the four walls of the hospital. Yeah. I think we really pride ourselves on keeping patients at the core of our vision, which I, I really truly believe that differentiates us. Um, so just to take a step back, our, our founder and CEO, Brahman Spira, she founded Force about 10 years ago. She was a practicing physical therapist, and there was just such a huge gap in when she would see her patients in the clinic and when they would go home. She felt like they would kind of just go off the rails, and she really sought to, like I said, fill that gap and make sure that patients are getting good care, not only within the walls of the hospital, but at home. So I think with value-based care and even more recently, the COVID-19 pandemic, we're seeing patients spending less and less time in hospitals and clinics and more time recovering at home. Yeah, especially in physical therapy. I mean, it's such a hands-on situation. I, I could imagine having that uh, at home to be very important and impactful in this season. Absolutely. Um, And physical therapy, like you said, it's so hands-on and it requires constant attention as well. So that extra tether is really needed. Um, And I think, you know, like I said, patients are obviously at the core of our mission, but we are a provider-driven patient engagement solution. 
So we're always keeping providers in mind as much as we're keeping patients in mind. So I know you had an episode um, about a week ago about provider burnout, and it's a really, really big issue in the industry right now. So one of the big things that we focus on is scaling provider workflows. So like I said, provider burnout is huge. We need to make sure that providers are spending time on the things that they actually should be spending time doing. So we really try to mitigate provider burnout, automating common workflows, and taking really that admin burden off of providers so they can actually care for their patients. So things like teaching in-person classes, chasing down patients to complete their forms, making phone calls to every single patient without any insights on who needs the most attention. We're kind of helping providers with that. Um, and at the same time, really just making sure that patients are an active member of their care. So that's that's the whole patient side of it. I think lately we're hearing a ton of buzz in the industry about patient engagement. We're really focused on patient activation, though. You can't have patient engagement without that patient activation. Hmm. So I think it's really cool that we're living in a world where we're thinking a lot about patient centricity. We don't live in a world anymore where a provider is making 100% of decisions without input. Yes, from true. With impact from the patient about what they read on WebMD or what they know in, through their research. And yes, very interesting. Exactly. So we're seeing shared decision making, huge shift in mindset for patients, providers. Um, patients are now more involved and more in control than they were in the past. So we really need to empower patients to realize this. And that's the whole idea with patient activation. So once we make those patients active members of their care, that's when we're ready to go. We can engage the patient even more. They're those active members in their care. We're driving better outcomes. And all in all, that really just benefits providers, benefits the patient, and it benefits the healthcare system as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. So I'm interested in hearing too about how force kind of differs from others in the space. What do you really stake your claim on? It sounds like you put a really big impact on patients and that's amazing. What are other things that are differentiators for you all? Yeah, I would say just keeping patients at the core of our vision really just drives us to be different. And then just mm -hmm. taking both the patient and the provider side of everything, considering that in everything we do. So with others, I think you see focus on solely patients or solely providers. We make sure to really position ourselves at that critical intersection of patients and providers so that everyone is benefiting from the platform. Everyone's using it. If a patient's not using the platform, providers are going to get no benefit out of it and kind of vice versa. If, if the providers aren't using the platform, the patients are, everything is going into abyss and the patients feel like their care team's not on the other side. So we really take that to heart and we structure our product teams that way. So the team I'm leading right now is the patient engagement team. So just focusing on the patient experience, what can we do for our providers so that they're giving patients the best care and the best possible experience? And what can we do for our patients directly so that they're remaining engaged in their care, having the best outcomes as possible? Our other product-facing team is the care coordination team. They're focusing more on the flow of data so that we can really personalize the patient's experience. We have the bi-directional flow between us and the hospital medical records. So just 
keeping everybody fully in the loop and armed with all the data that's necessary to care for a patient. Wow, really interesting to have that data and analytics side of things as well. Um, I'm interested from the financial perspective. Um, I've been reading a lot about patient reported outcome measures, you know, proms, they call it, you know, take me to your prom, but <laughs> not really that. Um, but proms, they can lead to greater reimbursement um, under a lot of the value-based care initiatives. What are the benefits of a well-designed tool for therapeutics at home to help with proms and other financial incentives and, and reimbursement structures? Yeah, so I think we see, um, especially with our patient demographic, one of the biggest blockers to patient activation and patient engagement is ease of use. So what's really important there is making sure we have a usable patient-centric platform with personalized interactive content to optimize the patient experience. So the tool needs to be easy to use. It needs to be, like I said, patient-centric. So what we do, we try to keep everything um, with patient-centric language. So we do brand with the provider name, the provider image, just because we see that when patients feel like they're being watched, as adherence is higher. But in general, it's really important for the patient to know that everything that they're doing is to benefit them. Once they have mm -hmm. that, and once they have a personalized experience, they're more likely to be compliant. We have higher engagement. Um, we also see that it's really important to manage patient expectations. So giving them the information. So you have this many forms to complete. You have these many days to complete your forms, just so they're not feeling bombarded with everything that they're getting. They're, they get a ton of education. They're doing their exercises. They have forms. So... In this recovery period, it's really important that we do manage those patients' expectations so that it's more digestible to them and they can manage everything Sorry, on their own. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm wondering, what are some of the challenges that you all are noticing for the adoption of virtual therapeutic solutions? Do they differ from other solutions that you know, manage chronic conditions per se or others that are out there? Yeah, that's really interesting. I think the biggest challenges that we face are overall compliance and remote patient monitoring, which is why we're so invested in the patient activation so that we can make sure all of that's happening. Um, I think, you know, a lot of our patients are your total knee, your total hip replacement. And while the average age of those patients who's getting that surgery is decreasing, we do tend to get a lot of older folks who might not be as tech savvy as you and I are. Oh, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So that's certainly a challenge, especially in healthcare when there's a lot of security implications. You know, we need to have strong passwords and so on. Um, so, for example, strong password setting. That's a much bigger issue for an older patient compared to somebody like you and I, who at this point, you know, we're probably using a strong password keeper and using that regularly to log into the various sites that we visit every day. It's so funny. You'd never think about the passwords, you know, being an actual barrier to bettering your own health. <laughs> I've seen hilarious memes talking about that. Like, I cannot possibly have one more password, but, you know, you need to for the security, obviously, of your own patient, your own data data as a patient. Um, but yeah, that's fascinating that passwords is sometimes a, a challenge. Yeah, you wouldn't think so. But with that demographic, there's a lot of those types of challenges that you don't necessarily think of right away. I grew up using technology. We're way more used to it. 
And that older generation, it's not really the same. Um, so we also see varying levels of access across different demographics. So rural communities with poor access to internet or something even as simple as spouses sharing email addresses, which we actually see a ton. My parents share an email address and it's just a total cluster when my dad deletes an email that my mom didn't want deleted and whatnot. So those little things, yeah, those little things really do make a difference. So I would say that's a challenge, but in general, we do always think about our patients as a product manager. I'm always putting myself in our user's shoes. That's, that's my job. So when we're designing, we are always keeping those patients in mind. We do a ton of usability testing with patients of a similar demographic, just to make sure that everything is usable for patients before we actually release it. Um, and I tend to keep up a cadence too of just doing user interviews with patients every week just to hear from users of the platform, what they liked, what they didn't like. I think, you know, sometimes we forget that recovery is so individualized and it is so deeply personal. So that really, I think, helps keep me grounded and helps me consider every single perspective out there. Such a powerful thing to include that patient voice in the innovation process. And uh, kudos to y'all for doing that and doing that well. Uh, I'd love to dive in a little bit into this adaptive patient education that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, what does a patient do in particular that would trigger different pathways in terms of what care instruction videos they get, what exercise videos they get, you know, other, other therapeutic options they might have? You know, what are certain things that the patient could do that would trigger those different pathways? Yeah, well, I think something that's really cool is that we don't only rely on the patient to trigger those. Again, taking the burden off of the patient, not having them, you know, the forms fatigue is a big thing. So I think we get a ton of data from the EHRs, the EMRs that help us be fully equipped with all the data possible. So that's kind of like a baseline for assigning patients protocols, various education and care instructions and exercises. Once the patient's then in the platform, they are filling out some forms. Um, they are giving us some demographic information. So really just making sure we're asking targeted questions, getting to the point, not asking them lengthy questions. So simple, a simple example is if a patient tells us they're not a smoker, don't give them a care instruction about smoking cessation before surgery. True, true. Mm -hmm. So I that think is so interesting. You don't think about things like that, like just taking out that extra legwork. And, and we always hear about the administrative burden that patients have to go through. So that's very fascinating that you guys think through that, even in your patient education sections of, of the things that you do. Um, so I'd love to dive a little bit more too into your personal story. Uh, what are some things that you do as a busy executive in Miami, Florida, to work your best and just stay on top of your game? I am a highly organized person. I think organization is really key to everything. I'm a huge list person. I have a to-do list for every part of my I'm life. I'm the same. I'm like a list addict. <laughs> if you look at my notes section in my phone, it's just list after list after list. And I'm always updating my list. I, I think that's very important though. Um, I always, I am old school in the sense where I'm always carrying around a notebook with me and jotting things down. Um, I love having that pen and paper connection. I think it helps me just retain a little bit more. 
Um, so on top of that organization, I think self self care is huge. So morning workouts, making sure I'm making time for myself before taking on the day, mm-hmm. um, taking walks and taking breaks throughout the day. So being in Miami, we have a park right next door. So just taking the time to step back, I think, you know, there's a lot of thoughts out there. You know, you have to grind all day. You have to work your hardest all day, which you definitely do, but it's just as important to take the break, take the step back. Otherwise you're going to be burnt out. So I just, in general, make sure I prioritize that time for myself. And I think at my company too, we do a really good job of enforcing that. And it's, it's definitely welcome to take that step back if you need it. That's amazing. That's really nice to have that uh, support from the company that you work for too. So I'm wondering, what are some strategies too that you have to overcome obstacles that you have in your way? You know, any obstacles that you've experienced throughout your career, throughout your personal life, you know, interested to hear about some of those strategies that you've just implemented. I think the biggest thing for me is not being reactive. And this is something that I I recently learned. So rather than, you know, you're faced with an obstacle, it's definitely stressful whenever you're faced with an obstacle, not reacting immediately, taking a step back and think. With that, making sure you're asking a ton of questions. It's okay to not have the answer to everything. Questions are super important. Even repeating what you already know with your other stakeholders to make sure that you have all the information equipped to move forward. Um, Not being afraid to ask for help is something that I definitely struggled with throughout my career. I was a very independent person, I think, when I started my career, but now I'm way more open to help. And, you know, it just digging into that collaboration, we have the best outputs when we are collaborating, when we have different perspectives. No one's expected to be 100% come up with the exact solution every single time you're faced with an obstacle. So just keeping that in mind. And I think the last thing, I would call myself a very positive person. And as naive as this may sound, I think just keeping in mind everything is possible. It's just, it might take some time to come up with a solution, but at the end of the day, it's possible. I just, I take a look at the healthcare industry. I take a look at my career and I am just fascinated with the strides that we've made and the strides that we are making and how many people in the health tech industry as a whole are working to solve problems that I I never thought we would be able to get to the place where we're at today. So that for me personally, that that's really big. I love that positivity. And you know what? There are plenty of cynics and they're wonderful too. Uh, us positive people love you cynics because you give us things to think about and come up with solutions for. So it's fantastic to have a mixture of abs- of optimism and cynicism in, in a way that is beneficial for companies and the healthcare industry as a whole. So good for you. I love your positivity. Keep it up. Thank now you. I'm wondering as a positive person, do you have advice for women looking to follow in a similar career path uh, as you in this industry. We have quite a few women who are uh, looking for mentors and and things in our community, and they're always interested in advice for what they could do to follow a similar path that you might have followed. Yeah, I think being curious is the best quality you can have in this industry. So whether that curiosity leads you to a Google search, 
whether it leads you to a new newsletter or a new podcast to subscribe to, all of that, there are so many resources out there. So if you're listening to in if you're listening in on all of those, you're exposed to so much more, so many other thoughts from people in the industry. You know, I think thinking back to my personal journey, like I said, I didn't realize health tech was going to blow up. I thought the only options I had for somebody so passionate about patient care was being a doctor and conducting research. So I just think about how fascinated I was when I started learning more about health tech. So I would say networking is really important. Talk to people. Don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. Message someone on LinkedIn. Reach out to a family friend or a friend of a friend who's in healthcare or doing something that you think you might be interested in. Worst case scenario, you realize you're not interested in it. And I, I think just don't be afraid to take that leap into doing something that you think you could be interested in. That is great advice. Be curious, network. And now if our listeners want to network with you, where can they find you online? So they can find me on LinkedIn. Um, my name is just Danielle Grasso, first name, last name. Um, I'm not active on Twitter, but my boss has been trying to encourage me to be active in the product manager Twitter um, world. So you might see me there soon, but mostly you can connect with me on LinkedIn and feel free to message me and network with me. Terrific. Before I forget, did you happen to bring tea with you today? I did. Ah, I love your mug. Now tell me about it. Thank you. So this is actually a gift from a really close family friend when my fiance and I got engaged last year. Congratulations. Um, thank you so much. Um, so overall, she bought it for us. She said the sunflowers are just like super positive. They reminded her of me, which I, I thought was great. Um, on top of that, the mug is also massive. I don't know if you can tell from here. We love a hefty mug full of tea or coffee. Which one? So right now it's full of tea. I am a huge coffee drinker. I do love drinking tea as well, though. Um, so the massive mug is really important for me. When I wake up, I need my cup of coffee. Um, and it just it keeps me going throughout the day. Well, thank you so much, Danielle, for joining us today. It was such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Such a pleasure speaking with you. And thanks to you folks for joining us. Check out the Hit Like a Girl podcast website and YouTube page for more great guests just like Danielle today. Cheers. Like a Girl Media is more than a media network. It's a community. We want to meet you and amplify your voice and the voices of outstanding women innovating in healthcare. Interested in starting your own podcast or hosting an event near you? Connect with us online or in person. We're here to support and empower you.